بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد الکریم اما بعد الحمد للہ جنائی از دا سیکنڈ آف مے ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی of the eminent companion, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu And I've reached a subsection in which I'm mentioning his duties as the special servant of our beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So in continuation, in Tirmidhi number 3811, Hassan Gharib Sahih, Mishkat volume 4, number 145, in the chapter on the companions in general. Abu Harir radiyallahu he had responded in amazement to another tabi'in by the name of Khaysama ibn Abi Sabra rahmatullah alayhi in a similar manner who had come to Al-Madinah from Kufa so yesterday I mentioned the Al-Qama the famous student of Ibn Mas'ud he travelled from Kufa to Damascus and he was mildly rebuked by Abu Darda this time A similar person from Kufa, another Tabi'in, he's traveled to Medina, but this time he's met Abu Huraira. And Abu Huraira radiyallahu said to him, Alaysa fikum Sa'ad ibn Malikin mujabudu da'wa? Was there not amongst you, i.e. in Kufa, Sa'ad ibn Malik, whose du'as are answered? Wa ibn Mas'udin, sahibu ta'hu, sahibu, تحور رسول اللہ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم ون علی ابن مسعود the one who used to carry the water for wudu and the sandals of رسول اللہ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم وحذیفت صاحب سر رسول اللہ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم حذیفت the keeper of secrets of رسول اللہ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم وعمار اللذی اجاله اللہ من الشیطان علی لسان نبیہ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم عمار whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guarded from the shaitan upon the tongue of his prophet and Salman Salman the companion of the two books Qatada rahmatullahi clarified wal kitaban wal kitaban wal quran and the two books are the injil and the quran So note Abu Huraira just like Abu Darda he was surprised that a person came to him to Adina to learn and he mentioned Sa'ad first. So Sa'ad is one of the ten from his paradise. And what did he mention about Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas? He mentioned his real name Sa'ad ibn Malik. And he said his du'as are answered and you came to me. Then he mentioned Ibn Mas'ud. وَبْنُ مَسْعُودٍ صَاحِبُ تَهُورِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ وَنَعْلِهِ Ibn Mas'ud, the one who used to carry the water for wudu and the sandals of Rasulullah. Because you came to me. Then he mentioned Hudayfa. صَاحِبُ سِرِّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ He goes, the keeper of secrets of Rasulullah. And you came to me. Then he mentioned Ammar, who was guarded from shaitan because of the Prophet's dua for him. And he mentioned Salman. صاحب القتابين the companion of the two books i.e. the Injil and the Quran so note the companions you can see their incredible humility but at the same time they were highlighting again and again the greatness of the companions of the Prophet 
and notice both Abu Darda in Sahih Bukhari and Abu Huraira in Tirmidhi Authentic, they mentioned exactly the same about Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Clarifying further upon his duties, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud himself said, Rasulullah went to relieve himself and said, bring me three stones. I brought him two stones and a dry piece of dunk. He took the two stones and he discarded the dung saying, Hada riks, it is filth. <laughs> this is in Sahih Bukhari, Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah. And Shaykh al-Bani Rahmatullah states Sahih in Sahih Sunan Ibn Majah, number 253. So note, he was carrying the wudu water of the Prophet But in this flawless report, he's got the water for his istinja. Now what's interesting, he told him to bring stones. So water and stones. So water, to put it simply, if you have a number two and it's not a messy number two, then water is sufficient. But if it's moved out of the place of exit, then you need to use stones and paper, obviously, in today's day and age. Then water is also used. But here, the Prophet told Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, bring me three stones. So Ibn Masood found two and he couldn't find a third, so he bought a piece of dunk. And the Prophet said, Hada riks, this is filth. You should, have, you should not have brought the dunk. So let's summarize this. What were the duties of Abdullah Ibn Masood? So you can mention nine. The first, he was looking after the sacred stuff of Rasulullah. Number two. He was looking after the sacred sandals of Rasulullah. Number three, he was looking after the water for his istinja and wudu. Number four, he was he would screen him in case of bathing. Number four, he would look after his miswak. Number six, he would look after his cushion. Number seven, he would also prepare the saddle for Rasulullah which I'll mention shortly. He prepared the saddle for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Number eight, he would awaken him when needed. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And number nine, because he had an unprecedented access to the sacred chambers. So it was because of this that Abu Musa al-Ashri said in Sayyid Bukhari, we thought he was part of the family of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam because obviously all these duties entailed, he was very close to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Subhanallah, it was due to all these sacred duties that Ubaidullah ibn Abdullah ibn Utbah rahmatullahi said, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was the possessor of the secrets of Rasulullah. I.e., all the above blessed duties and knowledge which he only had access to. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in Istabakat, volume 3, page 116 of the English translation in the chapter on the companions of Badr. And similarly, Abdullah ibn Shaddad said, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was the master of the secrets, the pillow and the sandals. This is in Ibn Sa'ad in Istabakat, volume 3, page 116 of the English translation in the chapter on the companions of Badr. So now, these Tabi'een, Rahimahumullah, they added something. He was the possessor of the secrets of Rasulullah. 
He was the master of the secrets. So now, an obvious question, wasn't that Hudayfa? Mm-hmm. Hudayfa was the keeper of secrets. The answer is yes, but that is talking about hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Secrets are not just about the hypocrites. So the Tabi'een were referring here to knowledge which others didn't have. <laughs> Meaning, you would find things with him that you will not find with anybody else. So look what Abdullah ibn Shaddad said. He was the master of the secrets. <laughs> He went that far. Because if you want to find more secrets from, from any other Sahaba, go to Ibn Mas'ud. And, of course, looking at his roles and duties, we understand this. Indeed, such was the love that he had for our beloved Messenger, that he could not tolerate any inconvenience to him at all, however small. For instance, in Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, Imam Ahmad's Musnad, Mishqat, Ma'rifal Ahadith, Volume 1, page 299-300, the New English Translation. Shaykh al-Bani Rahmatullah states Sahih, in Sahih Sunan Al-Tirmidhi, number 1936. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu said, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa once slept on a reed mat and arose with his marks on his blessed body. I just requested, Ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa I wish that you would allow us to spread something out for you and thus make you comfortable as you rest. He replied, What have I got to do with this world? In relation to the world, I am like a rider who shades himself under a tree, then gets up and leaves it for his destination. O Ibn Musud. So let's look at this. So this is a Sahih Hadith in Tirmidhi. So again, without details, what was he doing in the chamber? <laughs> now you know what he's doing. He's a servant of the Prophet So the Prophet and he's resting on a reed mat. So the best way to describe this, that you get straw. So when a person lies down on straw, he, he gets up, you'll notice the straw sticks to his clothing. So as he got up, Ibn Masood saw the marks on his body and he was moved. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, he goes, we will make something comfortable for you. Just give us permission so you can rest. And what amazing statement did he make? Which Muslims seem to have switched off to. What have I got to do with this world? Because you want to give me this world. Now let me ask you a question. Was that dunya? What have we got? He goes, what have I got to do with this world? He goes, in relation to the world, I am like a traveler who shades himself under the tree. Then gets up and leaves for the destination. Now why did he say that? Because if that was the case, if you see a person... He's just getting a bit of rest before he moves on on his journey under the tree. Would you even ask him that question? Shall I get you a pillow? Shall I get you something to rest on? It doesn't make any sense. I'm leaving. <laughs> Why would you want to make me a bed under the shade of a tree when I'm going to move on? That's what he was saying. But we've come to. Therefore, we want creature comforts. Right? You're under the tree and you want creature comforts. Something's gone wrong. Astaghfirullah. Adding details. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he said, Allah, in Tabarani in his kabir, I once went to see the Prophet and he was in a chamber like a bath due to the heat that was entrapped within it. So we can understand Arabian Peninsula, scorching sun, the dwelling is made of mud, so it absorbs heat. So as ibn Mas'ud entered the chamber, he just said it was like a room, like a bath, meaning it was blistering. 
he was sleeping on a palm mat that had left its imprint on his side. Seeing this, I began to weep. And upon this, he awoke. And he said, why are you weeping, O Abdullah? I said, Ya Rasulullah, the Khosro and the Caesar sleep comfortably upon silken beddings. And here you are sleeping on this palm mat that has left marks upon you. Why shouldn't I weep? The Prophet said, Don't weep, O Abdullah. For they have this dunya, we have the hereafter. If anybody's going to weep, we should be weeping for them, not them weeping for us. So now it adds a detail. It wasn't just the bedding, it was just the scorching, you know, like, what do you call it? You know, the the heat inside the, the chamber because it was just he's just and when he saw the prophet he couldn't stop weeping he goes look at the hardships he's going through and he's not even wanting to change this and he goes when I wept he woke up and he goes why are you weeping and look how beautiful he mentioned the most powerful men outwardly in the world very important to highlight outwardly because they're not really powerful the Khosro is the Persian emperor and the Caesar is the Roman emperor because they sleep comfortably on silk beds. And you are sleeping on this palm mat that has left marks upon you. In other words, I don't understand, Ya Rasulullah. Because don't weep. They have the world, we have the akhirat. In other words, you want to take the world as well, O Ibn Mas'ud. So this is Ibn Mas'ud. But there's a very similar report about Amir al-Mu'mineen, Sayyidina Umar. In Sayyid Bukhari. Number 89, Sahih Muslim, number 1479, Nasai, number 3128, Tirmadi, number 3329, Hassan Sahih Gharib, Ahmed in his Muslim, number 222. Sayyidina Umar, he said, I sat down and I raised my eyes, examining the contents of his chamber. I saw three half tinted pieces of leather and a handful of barley in the corner. Upon seeing this, I burst into tears. So this is actually a long, long report. I'm taking the relevant part out of it. This is the incident of Elah, when the Prophet separated from his wives for 29 days. So he's in a special chamber. And when Umar gets the entry, he goes, I looked, and this is all he saw. He goes, three half-tinted pieces of leather. What's that? Your guess is as good as mine. What, you know, what is that for? And a handful of barley. And he goes, I started to weep. He thereupon looking at me with love and affection. He said, why are you weeping, O son of Khattab? I responded, how can I not weep when I see this mud leaving marks on your side and your chamber empty as it is? Why do the Khosro and Caesar enjoy rivers and fruits whilst you... Rasulullah, Al-Mustafa, from amongst his creation, are living so austere. Ya Rasulullah, make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to ease the living of your ummah. For the Persians and Romans have indeed been given ease of living and have been given the possessions of worldly life, even though they do not worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet thereupon sat up. And he said, is this what concerns you? Do you have any doubt, O son of Khattab? Remember, 
those people have received their pleasures too soon in this worldly life. I thereupon said, Ya Rasulullah, please make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive me. So let's look at this. So this is recorded in Bukhari and Muslim. So note the companions look for the Prophet They were the true ashiks. You know, we're just march, march ashiks. You know, go on marches. So he weeps. So the Prophet he sees Umar weeping and Umar he says virtually the same as Ibn Masood but he adds a few things. He goes, you are Al-Mustafa. You are living like this. Then he said, make a dua for your Ummat. The scholars say he knew he wouldn't make dua for himself. So Umar was very, you know, he was blessed with insight. So he thought if he makes a dua for his Ummah, the dua will affect him. He goes, they're being given everything and they don't even worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look how interesting. Now the Prophet sits up. Because that's important now. You know, the rest was just, you know. So he sits up. He goes, is this what concerned you? What did he say? Those people have received their pleasures too soon. Now what does that mean? In Sayyid Muslim, Imam Ahmad Musnad Mishkat, the Prophet said, the unbelievers are rewarded for their good deeds in this world. Then when they die, they have nothing. That is what the Prophet is referring to. In other words, when you see him having these beautiful houses and cars and servants and this, that and the other, whatever little good deeds they have done, Allah has given them the rewards. In the same hadith in Sayyid Muslim, the Prophet said, but the, for the believers, he rewards them in the world and the next. This is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we do get something in the world, but we also get what's more important. Then Umar then said, Ya Rasulullah, make dua that Allah ta'ala forgives me. You know the words, I shouldn't have made that statement. Subhanallah, such was the austere and simple life of our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa and such was the love and concern of these two mighty souls for him. Now what's important here? Think from a non-Muslim perspective. If a non-Muslim heard these reports, what's going through his mind? He doesn't have a clue what's going on. He's only thinking he's not a true prophet. You know, he's not a, he's a fake. He's after something. You know, he's got a power, he was a prophet in Makkah, then he becomes a general in Medina. Okay, no problem. Explain this. Was he after? Even the closest people to him, his father-in-law, his grandson-in-law, his special servant, they're weeping over how he's living. So was he after? Because a fake is after this world. No response. How can they give a response to that? So this is so important. He said, look, these are signs of prophethood. He's not after the world. He's not interested in the least. And he would give reasons why he was not interested in the world. He's we're a traveler. If we're waiting in the train station, waiting for the train, are you going to start decorating the train station? The waiting room. The guy's mad if he starts doing that. The train's coming. Carpets are coming in. He goes, I want to put wallpaper up, you know, put a few cupboards there, few images of the Masjid Al-Haram. This, that, put chandelier. But train's coming. The guy's blanking you completely. He's mad. Train comes, what happens? You leave everything. Right? So this is what the Prophet was saying, sallallahu alayhi wa And that's why the Tabi'in wept. When during the Umayyad Khilafat, they, because the Muslims had expanded in great number, they had to dismantle the chambers of the Prophet. Because the Masjid al-Nabi needs to be extended. The Tabi'in didn't want it, but the Khilafat did. And they wept. 
Because if they had just left this, so people could have seen how austerely the Prophet lived. <laughs> because that would have been, like you're saying today, a picture says a thousand words. Imagine you went back to al Madina, despite all the mess they've done around it. You see the chambers. <laughs> Wouldn't that move you? <laughs> Is this how the Prophet lived? What the hell am I doing? <laughs> what do we see? Nothing, just guards there with sticks. <laughs> Right, so they dismantled the Tabin because this is a picture, and people would go there, they'd be moved to tears because what the heck are we doing? Because we're lost in dunya. So, this is why when you actually go to the untouched places, it moves you because you see how simply they were living. And why were they living that? Not because they wanted your pity, they lived like that because they were heading towards the true destination. And haven't they gone? But have all these August people now gone? They've gone on, they've gone forward on the journey, they haven't reached the destination yet. So all I mentioned today was basically again a few blessed reports indicating the special services that Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud had with regards to our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa And what's interesting, there is a report, the hadith is in Tanzul Umar. And our beloved messengers reported to have said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the servant of the people is their Amir. Or the Amir is the servant of the people. So apply that to Ibn Masood. So whoever serves, Rasulullah said, he's your chief. He's your like Amir. Who was Ibn Masood serving? Right? So how does that apply? He's not just our Amir. He's our Amir par excellence. Therefore, he had the special secrets of Rasulullah. And of course, he certainly deserved it. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah, bihamdi, ismanika, Allahumma, bihamdika, ishnullah, ilaha illa, and astaghfirika, atubu alayka, abdi bin lahim, rishat al-anjim, subhanahu alayhi wa rabbika, rabbi al-izzati, amma yisifun, assalamu alayhi wa rabbi al-mursaleen, walhamdulillahi wa rabbi al-alameen, bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, wal-asr, insan lafi khusr, al-lazina amudu wa amudu al-salihat, wa 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 wa